you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade, or at least grab an extra latte. After getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com Goals24. That's Chime.com Goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's not one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Michael Duffy, opinions editor-at-large here at The Post, sitting in for Jonathan Capehart. We're going to begin this morning with Jackie Alemany, Congressional Investigations Correspondent for The Post. Good morning, Jackie, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Jackie, you had a story this week about the growing legal challenges uh, surrounding former President Donald Trump. Uh, let's start with the suit brought Wednesday by the New York State Attorney General against both Trump uh, and three of his children, as well as some associates, I believe. Uh, what is it the attorney general uh, is claiming happened? Yeah, Michael, there is certainly a, a melange of legal challenges that the former president is now facing, both civil and criminal. And the lawsuit Wednesday uh, that that broke is a civil uh, suit. And New York Attorney General Tish James accused the former president and three of his grown children, along with some executives at his company, Trump Organization, of essentially manipulating property and asset valuations to deceive lenders, uh, brokers, and authorities to uh, get better insurance rates insurance policy rates and reduce tax liability. Uh, Tish James's office is now seeking $250 million in what they have have claimed are ill-gotten gains that Trump received through these deceptive practices. and a good example here is Mar-a-Lago, for instance. Uh, it's a historic site that Trump claimed was valued at $739 million on the basis uh, that, that it was there was potential for residential development, even though he had given up the rights to construct homes uh, on the property because of tax benefits. Uh, but then the true value, according to James, was actually uh, $75 million. So there are multiple instances like that for various Trump properties uh, that James is now seeking, um, a, again, uh, reimbursements of from Trump org. Uh, are the former president's children in legal jeopardy here as well? Yeah, exactly. Uh, th- three of his, again, adult children, Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, and, and Don Jr., um, are all listed in this uh, civil suit. And uh, James claims that these uh, practices would not have been possible without their assistance. You also had a story this week, Jackie, about uh, some developments in the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. Uh, that panel seems now to have reached a deal to hear testimony from Virginia Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, what is it they want to know from her? That's a, a very good question. Uh, so far, we have reported 
a number of developments as it relates to Ginny Thomas and her involvement in the efforts to overturn the results of the election. We know that she herself was directly advocating and pressuring uh, local and state officials in Arizona and Wisconsin uh, to try to implement the fake scheme of uh, electors. Um, this was revealed through some excellent reporting from our colleague Emma Brown. Uh, we also know that she was in direct contact with John Eastman, who is a longtime Thomas associate. He clerked for um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and developed a relationship with um, Ginny and Clarence that that continued up until now. And these uh, emails that were obtained by the January 6th Select Committee uh, from John Eastman showed that he was in touch with Ginny Thomas. What exactly the two were discussing during this time period in the lead up to January 6th remains unclear, and the depth of her involvement in some of John Eastman's efforts um, have yet to be determined, but this is certainly something uh, that is of interest to the committee, I think regardless of, of whether uh, of her status as a Supreme Court justice's wife. Can you explain also why a committee which has subpoena power would need to do a deal to get her to testify? Uh, talk a little bit, if you can, about uh, as you watch some of these witnesses appear before the panel, um, the kinds of negotiations that can go on between uh, a potential witness uh, and the investigating authority, in this case, the panel. Why, why a deal? Why, why not just subpoena? Yeah, so uh, the the instance of, of Jenny Thomas is interesting. She is someone who the committee has uh, sort of had their eyes on for months now, especially after they obtained John Eastman's emails. And I think that there was a bit of a reticence to um, further politicize a committee that that already was under uh, attack from the right by going after someone who uh, holds such an influential position in conservative politics and also uh, you know separately from from her own uh, stature in the party and and her connections um, also the fact that she is Clarence Thomas's wife uh, Liz Cheney for example she has been one of the most aggressive and outspoken um, lawmakers on the panel investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Uh, but but we have previously reported that she also was reticent about going after Ginny Thomas and 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 didn't necessarily want to go there, so to speak. Um, but yeah. Yeah. ultimately, they decided that it was best for her to come forward. They didn't issue her a subpoena uh, that that again remains unclear why this sort of materialized now. But uh, her lawyer did finally say that she was willing to to volunteer whatever information that the committee needs to hear. It turns out often that sometimes but neither side wants to go all the way to court to, to make this happen. And I, I think that's a, a helpful explanation. Uh, there's also the ongoing Justice Department investigation of the documents, allegedly classified documents that were um, uh, at Mar-a-Lago for months. Uh, and those, of course, got caught up in a um, a complicated set of uh, legal maneuvers over the last 10 days to two weeks. What's the latest there, Jackie? Yeah, there was a very interesting development yesterday, Michael. Uh, Judge, U.S. District Judge Raymond Deary uh, is turning out to be um, far more of a serious judge than I think the Trump legal team anticipated. Uh, quite a contrast to uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, who ruled that there should be a special master. Um, but Raymond Deary, who now is serving as the special master, is essentially asking the Trump legal team to back up some of their clients' uh, 
claims that he has made um, and, a, and a variety of outlets. Most recently, uh, this week on Sean Hannity, the former president uh, went on his show to claim that he had uh, classified documents that were seized by the FBI in his head. Uh, he had declassified those documents and, and also that the FBI had, had uh, essentially seized documents from him incorrectly. Uh, and what the judge is now asking is the Trump legal team to ba factually back up these claims, make them in court as a part of this process by September 30th, uh, and provide sort of a, a detailed, again, account of whether or not they support uh, the inaccuracies that their client has, has consistently been making throughout this review process. At the, at the end of the week, or nearly so, uh, an appeals court ruled that uh, the Justice Department probe into the provenance and, and the, the status of these documents over the last years uh, can proceed. Uh, uh, which may put the whole special master thing to the side. We don't know yet. But uh, is there a chance that the Trump team will uh, appeal that uh, decision as well? Uh, are we going to be in court over who gets to look at these documents uh, for a while longer? Or do you think that's coming to a close? And That's it's a good question. Uh, the, the legal team has been sort of challenging to follow. Um, they've filed appeals at the, the very last minute or uh, they've missed deadlines and, and, and filed these appeals uh, later than expected. It, it's likely that they're going to fight this. Um, they are trying to sort of extend and, uh, this timeline and, and filibuster as, as much as possible, hence uh, the entire, entire special master process. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very, this very well could be settled in, in court um, expeditiously, or we could go through, continue to go through this special master process with Raymond Deary, reviewing the roughly 11,000 documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago um, before there can be a, a damage assessment conducted by uh, uh, the intelligence community and agencies um, and uh, a finished investigation by the Justice Department. It's a complex moving picture, and thanks for keeping us up to speed. Jackie, uh, have a great day. You too. All right, we're going to continue our program with two of our pros pros, columnist Jean Robinson and Jennifer Rubin joining us now. Good morning, guys. Morning. Morning, Michael. Okay, so I'm going to start with the top line question that I think people want to know. Do, do Trump's mounting legal problems, um, and I think we can all agree that they seem to be mounting, uh, make it, in your view, more likely that he'll run in 2024, less likely, or no impact at all? All right, uh, Gene, go first. I think it, I think all of this makes it much more likely that he's going to run. Um, uh, you know, this has been my view pretty consistently that he would uh, he would run um uh, it, at least announce that he's running and and begin to run for president i am i remain unconvinced that he will necessarily follow this, the his campaign all the way through to the end i don't think he wants to risk losing yet again i think that would be a problem for him but uh, I think he believes that uh, being a candidate for president will um, add, give him some sort of protection or at least a reason to say 
that this is all political. Uh, it's his political enemies. They're coming after him, uh, and he's a candidate. And and he, I think he hopes that that will that that will protect him in some way. So I think it. You know, every new investigation, every advance makes it more likely uh, that he's going to announce, and makes it more likely that he's going to announce sooner rather than later. Jen, more likely, less likely, or no impact. Well, I'm going to risk disagreeing with Gene, which is always a dicey proposition, but I'm going to say <laughs> it actually makes it harder for the following reason, the money. Once he formally declares for president, all of these financial um, scrutiny rules come into effect. Um, there are uh, limits on how much he can actually raise. There are disclosure requirements. And right now, I think his primary problem um, to deal with all of these legal issues is money. He's got to raise gobs of money because suddenly he is fighting a multi-front war, all with lawyers who have learned, by the way, to get paid up front. Uh, no more of this waiting till the back end to chase Donald Trump down. So I think he will continually put off running, sort of like uh, healthcare week was coming. Um, the healthcare plan was always coming two weeks down the road. Um, so he'll try to remain in the limelight, trying to kind of freeze the field and in particular bedevil uh, Ron DeSantis, who is his main rival. But I think he's going to avoid actually formally declaring because of the money issue. And that's going to become an acute problem for him. In particular, if some of these lenders start calling in loans saying, well, it does look like he misrepresented certain things or he's broken certain covenants, then it becomes really a, a race to the bottom for him. Gene, let's turn the question around a little bit. When, when Trump is so front and center, especially with, with uh, legal issues in the news, does that help uh, one party or the other now that we're you know, less than two months away from a midterm election? Well, look, you know, it, it, um, uh, it's difficult to predict um, uh, midterm elections, difficult to predict that a midterm election um, will go against historical trends. Historical trends would make this a very, very favorable cycle for Republicans. That said, um, I think um, whenever Donald Trump is front and center and in the news uh, that is better for Democrats than for Republicans, especially in this context. I mean, he's, he, you know, you, you assume that the, the hardcore Trumpist base um, is is with him. Um, he's not on the ballot. Are they going to come out and vote? Probably a lot of them will. But but his being in the news definitely um, uh, it, it means that um, independents who disapprove of him um, uh, by a huge margin, um, uh, I, I think, makes them more likely to to pay attention uh, and to and to come out uh, in favor of Democrats. Now there. The other big issue that, of course, is is impacting the midterms and and likely, I think, to have a significant impact is the Dobbs decision, um, uh, and so that's a, kind of a separate thing. But I think Trump uh, is uh, that's not what the Republicans want to be talking about. They want to be talking about uh, inflation. They want to be um, bashing Joe Biden, making it a referendum on him. If you make it a choice between Biden and Trump. Um, we we kind of know we've run that movie. We know we know how that one comes out. 
Jan, it's been three months since the Dobbs decision. It's a key part of the Democrats' message in the in the midterm elections. Is it going to be enough to uh, enable them to hold one house, two houses? What do you, what do you guess at this point? I think it's certainly a boon to them. There's no denying that not only have Democrats um, become more engaged, more enthusiastic, but we've seen actually a disproportionate number of Democrats and women register to vote in these states since the Dobbs decision. Um, and you can see that both sides consider it important. Democrats are running these really blistering ads. Republicans are trying to scrub all signs um, that they were ever pro-life. Um, I use that uh, euphemistically from their websites as if it's a complete non-issue. They're running away from it. So I think we have agreement from both sides. This is a pretty important issue. Um, I would say that I completely agree with Gene in terms of Trump's prominence. Remember, the issue that Republicans thought they were going to win on was inflation. That is almost entirely out of the news in a week in which the Fed once more raised the basis point, 75 points, and is predicting um, relatively high inflation for the future. And no one is really kind of focused on that, nor are they focused on um, poor uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is trying to run... Uh, roll out some kind of proposal on policy issues because Trump is just sucking up all the oxygen. And whenever Republicans are not talking about inflation, I think that's bad for them. Uh, and um, yet they are stuck with him. Uh, they have refused to um, shove him off the edge. And so they mm -hmm. are stuck with him. He's like a bad house guest who won't leave. Gene, uh, you're laughing, but I'm wondering whether this interest rate rise is as uh, uh, benign uh, as Jen is suggesting. Um, there may be more to come. Uh, is is does that get factored into how voters think about the economy and how they'll vote? Well, look, I, I don't think most vote, most voters, um, uh, you know, those those in the market for buying a, a house right now, um, certainly are focused on interest rates. I think um, voters are more focused on uh, on prices in general. Um, and uh, the, the most sort of visible billboard uh, indication of inflation uh, is, of course, gas prices, because it's literally on billboards. <laughs> At, at gas stations, and and that is down very, you know, the price of price of gas is down very substantially from its high. Uh, uh, you know, I think it ticked up a penny yesterday or the day before, but but it it that followed, you know, a a, a long stretch of daily declines, and um, so that takes a bit of the sting out of the inflation issue. Um, however. Uh, everything else costs a lot more. You know, for, you go to the grocery store. That's something that voters do too, and they're paying more. And so it's it's not as if that issue has gone away. Uh, I think that's more present to more voters than the, than the interest rate question. Uh, Jen, as you know, Republicans often close uh, midterm campaigns very strong, often with an appeal to culture. Um, or worse, uh, Ron McDaniel, the uh, chair of the part, the GOP, said I think yesterday or the day before that Republicans ought to be focusing on three issues: inflation, crime, and the border. Are we seeing uh, the volume get turned up on that yet? Already? Or do you expect more soon? How do you read it? We're 
We're certainly seeing these um, really horrendous ads on crime. Um, dystopia is back for uh, Republicans and uh, drugs are back for Republicans in all of these uh, ads. So they are really trying to push that button. But I think once again, their go-to issue remains immigration. Uh, we saw it um, when Trump played um, the caravan card, if you remember, um, uh, focusing on um, migrants who are really hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the border. And you're seeing it now with DeSantis uh, and Abbott, uh, two prominent Republicans who are taking to shipping immigrants, fleeing uh, a Venezuelan uh, communist dictatorship around the country. And although it has certainly sparked outrage on the part of Democrats and even immigrants in those states, there's a very big Venezuelan population in Florida, um, they think that's good for them. They think that that stirs up their base, that gets people out. So they will continue to play that card again and again. Um, do I think it's going to bolster them? Um, perhaps. But uh, I think, um, as Jean said, the Republicans who are with Trump, who are those base voters, um, who are the MAGA hat-wearing people, are already in his uh, corner. And the risk here is that they will wind up um, getting Democrats even more angry, even more engaged, as they were, if you remember, in the child separation uh, scandal that was uh, during the mm -hmm. Trump administration. Gino, a week after uh, Governor Santos uh, sent the plane loads to Martha's Vineyard, um, how does that... Um, stunt look politically for him has it has it helped him has it hurt him do you think he wants to do it over do you think he wants to do it again do you think he doesn't want to think what what do you make of it with a bit of hindsight i think he'll be glad when this fades from the news cycle um i don't think this has worked out quite the way he thought it would uh i don't think he really thought through the, uh, how uh, the the Venezuelan exile community in uh, Florida and uh, and uh, by extension the Cuban exile community in Florida, uh, which fled similar circumstances, how they're going to react to the way he's treating Venezuelans who are, as Jen said, fleeing this brutal um, leftist. Um, uh, Maduro regime in Venezuela and um, uh, the, and seeking asylum legally, by the way, in the United right. States. The, these are not illegal border crossers. These are people presenting themselves at the border, seeking asylum for what most people would say are legitimate reasons, and certainly what, what the exiles in South Florida would say are legitimate reasons. So um, I, I don't think he anticipated that. I don't think um, uh, the, the most interesting reaction I heard, uh, just heard this morning that, uh, Jared Kushner, uh, of all people was critical, uh, saying that, uh, well, you know, we, uh, he's shocked, shocked that immigrants are being used as pawns and that, you know, that, that, that says that number one, Trump world, uh, is eager to pile on, uh, in any sort of bad news cycle for, for DeSantis. Um, and, and B, um, it, it, it is, that's some, some amnesia. Um, you know, think of, remember the child separation policy? I think Jared Kushner was uh, in the White House at that time. Uh, and uh, I think immigrants were being used as pawns. 
All right, let's change the subject one uh, more time and talk about what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, earlier this week, President Biden spoke at the United Nations, uh, I think it was Wednesday, uh, where he addressed the war, uh, and he said this. Let's, let's listen to a clip. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple, and Ukraine's right to exist as a people. Whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever you believe, that should not, that should make your blood run cold. Jen, uh, what did you think? Was this an effective speech? And, and if so, tell us why. Well, I think this part of the speech was very effective. Um, he was um, really bordering on fury there um, and really took it to uh, Putin. There was no missing words. There was no indirect reference. This was really essentially um, calling them uh, genocidal, um, um, which I think there's an argument uh, that they are. Um, and he pointed to the human rights atrocities. He pointed to uh, the unprovoked aggression. He pointed to the threats of nuclear war, which um, Putin is once again, uh, uh, you know, bantering about. So I think that part of the speech was very effective. There's a tension in that speech and in the foreign policy general in this administration that they are trying to balance two things that are sometimes in contradiction. On one hand, it is very important for Biden to take the side of democracy um, and to uh, emphasize that we're in an existential struggle with authoritarian regimes. On the other hand, quite pointedly, he is reaching out to non-democracies and saying, we realize there are other kinds of countries out there and we want to work with you too. We want to do things like climate change and work on food insecurity and a bunch of other issues. So that's the kind of tension there. We saw it in that infamous fist bump in Saudi Arabia, that on one hand, this administration very badly wants to once more be the leading democracy and to have the moral high ground. On the other hand, they find themselves making accommodations to regimes that are not democratic at all. And I got to say, it feels a little bit like the Cold War in that respect, that will sort of take uh, a lot of very imperfect um, allies, including places like Saudi Arabia, in order to thwart aggressive authoritarian regimes. So there's nothing um, new that uh, we haven't seen here uh, for uh, the better part of the 20th century. For those of us who remember it. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Gene, Ukraine President uh, Zelensky also addressed the UN this week. Um, he did it virtually, and he said that Russia would be forced to end the war that it started. Uh, does that sound realistic so far? Yeah, it's definitely unrealistic so far. I mean, there's no indication that uh, Vladimir Putin intends to end this war um, anytime soon. I mean, it, it, one thing the United General General Assembly, I, I think it is having uh, a, a a real purpose, a real impact uh, this time around. It doesn't always, but I think it is a, a powerful demonstration of just how united the world is in its outrage um, and and shock and disapproval of what Putin is doing. Um, uh, his, um, you know, he he's, he has nobody speaking up for him. 
uh, and for what Russia is doing at the General Assembly, at the Security Council, I guess Belarus maybe, but I mean, that's that's it. Uh, and uh, so I think this is sort of a powerful demonstration of world uh, opinion, uh, world government opinion. Um, but that said, uh, Putin uh, continues doubling down, calling up these 300,000 reserves, which is going to take him some time to actually deploy. Um, uh, and I think, you know, we're going to see the, the fighting uh, go on and, and then winter will come and things will sort of freeze in place. And I think Putin will, um, will you know, he certainly will not uh, change his policy uh, before he sees how the winter goes and sees if, if a cold winter um, without Russian gas potentially has an impact uh, in Europe. Um, I doubt that it will, but uh, I think that's his next move. Guys, you're both awesome. Thanks for taking the time. We're, we are out of time. Um, and uh, so thank you very much. We're going to have to leave it there. Eugene Robinson and Jennifer Rubin, columnists for The Washington Post. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at Chime.com goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NIA, or Stride Bank NIA members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.